Man, well, church, good morning. So glad that you've uh, joined us today. I know that um, Holy Week is coming up. Palm Sunday is coming up. So this would have been like the easiest one to skip. She's like, I'm about to get church for the next three, you know, three times in the next week. Why do I have to go here? We believe Lord's people, Lord's house, Lord's day here. And I'm so appreciative of each and every one of you joining us. So I've been looking forward to this Sunday uh, for a very long time. I'm going to tell you why. Um, not just because it's the week before Palm Sunday. I am really excited. I have the palms downstairs in the, in the fridge, ready to go, ready to rock. Um, but no, I'm really excited this morning because I have the privilege of walking our church uh, through something that, that's going to be new to us that we've been working on kind of behind the scenes for, for a number of months, really since, I don't know, December mid-December, somewhat January, somewhere in that time frame, uh, we started working on this, and here's the deal. Everyone's mind works a little bit differently. Praise God for that. Anyone in the house thankful that you're unique and special and loving? At least that's what everyone would tell you. No, but hey, how my brain works is I work really well with like lists and goals and objectives and, and, and things. So kind of, you know, I've just spent about a year so far, a little bit over a year here at Vintage Church. And one of the things that myself and the staff have been doing really over the next or last year has been kind of going bucket by bucket and everything we do as a church and saying, okay, well, what are we doing here? What's kind of, you know, uh, you know, the VIP, well, what's this look like? Why do we do these things? What is this? And kind of through that, we've, we've developed some new stuff, sharpened some other stuff that already exists. Like, for example, like Vintage 101. So all of you that are joining us for the first time or those of you that have been tracking with us, but just want to, you know, maybe get to know our church a little bit more. That's downstairs today. That's something that we've introduced. We kind of moved all of our stuff to a new database to make sure that we can communicate better and get, you know, dates out better and all keep, stay organized. What else have we done? Uh, we launched the app to make sure people can, can get connected and, and communicate with one another kind of bucket by bucket. But one of the things that we really, um, really took a hard look at and said, how can, we, how can we increase the level of discipleship in our church? How can we um, help people get connected more? How can we impact our neighborhoods? What's the thing? What's the thing? And man, um, we've done a lot of cool stuff over the past few months, but the thing that we're gonna talk about today that kind of answers the question I just proposed um, is the thing that I'm most excited about. So I hope you're with me this morning. We're going on a ride. Buckle up, everyone do this. You know what that means? It means we're about to ride a roller coaster. You with me? I won't do like the whole thing that you see at a high school game. That's maybe another week, maybe on Easter, but not today. So hope you got your Bibles because this message is gonna be a little bit different. Typically, we, um, we like to open God's word. We've been tracking through the book of Acts, right? And wherever we're at, we left off last week is where we pick up the following week and we take one section and we just kind of walk through it. Um, 99% of the time when you come to church, that's how we're gonna be preaching. This morning, Rob said, do whatever you want. I said, great, I'm throwing the playbook out. I'm doing something different. So hope you got your Bibles. We're gonna be bouncing around. We're gonna go on a journey. I'll have all the scripture behind me on the screen, but we're gonna be bouncing around a little bit because today what I wanna do, I just wanna spend our time together opening God's word to equip our church in two things. It's the why and it's the what behind this new initiative we're launching. It's why and it's what, because I believe what we're stepping into is going to deepen our level of discipleship, deepen our level of devotion to God and his word. It's gonna create an uncommon community within our church and our neighborhoods. And I believe that starting the week of Easter as we kind of move into this, it's gonna begin a very trans transformational, transformative, both a word, interchangeably. Anyways, it's gonna be a transformational time in the life of each person in our church. This isn't just some, something that impacts us 
in a very wide, broad way. No, I believe this is something that's going to impact every individual that joins. Cool? So, I said it's new to us, but the truth is, is what we're stepping into isn't actually new at all. It is not new to the global church. It's just new to our local body. So what I want to do is I want to start all the way back at the beginning. To really understand where we're headed, we got to understand where we came from. Brace yourselves. In order for me to do that, I have to show you something in the book of Acts. We've been tracking through Acts for like the last 10 years, it feels like. And I know we said that, hey, we're going to step out of it leading into Easter, but there is no way that I can really do what we're doing justice. I'm not going to take another piece of God's word and kind of try to jam it to mean something that it doesn't mean. I'm going to go to the place that communicates the best, that communicates it clearest, and then that's an Acts. But let me ask this question, throw you another curveball. Who's seen the Rocky movies? Okay, we're all from Pennsylvania. I hope, man, if you haven't seen the Rocky movies, you're only allowed to come to Easter if, no, I'm just kidding. It's really any 80s, like 80s action sports movie. There's always this, this is kind of the same formula, right? There's the hero, he's getting ready. He goes and does the big thing kind of halfway through the movie and loses. And then what comes right after he loses? The training montage. You know what I'm talking about? The training montage. And why do they have a training montage? because it sets up the climax of the movie. It sets up the part of like, this is what we're here for. Like when Rocky goes and destroys Clubber Lang, like late in the, or what, no, Ivan Drago is even better. That's the best one, right? Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> I know way more about the Rocky movies than I should. He loses and then he has this training montage because it's just the quick, you know, two minute, 30 second, whatever clip of him like doing a bunch of crunches and things. Why? Because it sets up the journey that he has gone through in order to get to the place where that he's going. So this portion that we're gonna look in Acts this morning is our training montage. And if you've been tracking with me whenever I'm up here typically, I don't know, I've gotten this rut, I'm gonna keep doing it now, um, where I like, like to throw music in there. And I couldn't think of a better way to kind of set up our training montage than by doing it to the theme of the Rocky films. So go ahead, crew, you can hit it. Wait for it, almost. Here we go. All right, you with me? We're starting all the way back in Acts chapter 1. So in Acts 1, Jesus ascends into heaven, right? This is right after. The Holy Spirit's about to descend onto the believers. They're in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Peter, the apostles, it says in the scriptures in Acts 1.15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and the company of the persons, about 120. Catch that. There's 120 people in this upper room. Our church is about that size right now. Must have been a pretty big room. So, turn the page, right? One page over, Acts chapter 2. It says, Acts 2.41 says this. So those who received his word and were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Everybody say 3,000. So where's the church at now? A little bit over 3,000 people. You with me? Still tracking? All right, just a couple verses later, six total. Acts 2.47, it says this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's starting to click. Got over 3,000 people that make up the global church at the time. And day by day, everyone say day by day. One more time, day by day. Numbers were being added. So we're going to, this is about a five-year time period that we're hitting in like two minutes. So if you say, let's just say one year. So on, a very, on an average, a safe bet is an additional 365. So now we're the church is at about 
three and a half thousand people, right? All right, turn over to Acts 4. Acts 4, 4. Or you can just look at it behind me because I'm going way too fast. Peter and John, they're preaching right before they get arrested. And look what happens. Acts 4, 4 says this. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Everyone say 5,000. These are, these are not rookie numbers anymore. And notice it said just the men. Back then, that's what they counted, and it's different nowadays. But if you include the women and the children that are probably in that number, you can easily say safely that that number was probably actually double in terms of all the individuals. So now the church is, I don't know, I lost count. And guess what? So did they. Look at the next one, Acts 5.5. 5. It says this, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Everyone say multitudes. So here's the question I have for you. Why was there a number in all the other texts, but multitudes here? I'll give you the answer. Because there are so many people that they couldn't count them anymore. You guys could kill the music. Perfect. Man, right on. That was, we could not have planned that more perfect. Way to go, team in the back. And thank you, whoever wrote the Rocky soundtrack for being exactly like three minutes. Multitudes. They lost count. As a matter of fact, it got so large that the high priests, after they arrested the apostles again, were like, hey, you have to stop doing this. Why? Because you have filled up Jerusalem. Jerusalem is packed with Christians. Everybody, the whole place, it's jam-packed. Stop doing this. Of course they didn't. And here's the thing I love about that. I love that the growth wasn't because of lights, guitars, killer programs. It was because of the faithful preaching of God's word. That's what was happening. Faithful preaching of God's word and the Holy Spirit working through that was multiplying believers to multitudes, so many that they couldn't even count anymore. God was building his kingdom of thousands of people. They're giving their lives to Jesus. And while we celebrate every soul that is saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that moment of salvation is just the start of a much longer journey, right? Some theology for you. See, in the moment that we give our lives to Christ, we're adopted into the family of God. The Holy Spirit enters into us and acts as a mark or a seal that shows who you belong to. When you give your life to Christ, because you are now in the family of God, the Holy Spirit acts as a seal, says, no, that's who you belong to. And there's nothing that you can do to rip that seal off. But while our salvation is sealed in the moment, that moment also marks the beginning of a process that we call sanctification. Right, everyone say sanctification. Still with me. The music didn't throw everybody off. Sanctification is a process we go through here on earth where God grows us in holiness to become more like Christ. It begins the moment we give our lives to Jesus and it ends with the glorification, it's another fun word, when Christ returns. So the question I have for us this morning is, how, how did the church do this? You're seeing thousands, multitudes of people giving their lives to Jesus and joining the global church. How did they make sure that each person was continuing to grow? How, how did they make sure that there wasn't just a flash in a pan? I gave my life to Jesus, big emotional moment, but then I have no clue what to do after that. Well, I wanna show you two verses it's gonna tell us. The first is Acts 2.46. Can write that down. The second is Acts 5.42. Just listen to this. <clears throat> and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, 
They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Okay, up until Peter preached, Peter preached at Pentecost. Wow, that is a tongue. Say that one 10 times fast. I'll give you the microphone if you can do it. Just kidding, please don't do that to me. Right up until Peter preaches at Pentecost, how many people were in that upper room? 120, right? Group about the size of our church right now. The second verse just comes a few chapters later, right? Acts 5.42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not ceasing in teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So we started at 120. In Acts chapter five, we're at multitudes. Too many to count. But did you notice that what they were actually doing didn't change? There's two things that they were doing, right? Why did I take time to look at both these places? Because I want us to understand this, that regardless of the size of the church, how long they'd been established, the biblical model we see for God's people gathering since the very beginning of the church is twofold. The first is this, they met corporately. Right, it says in the, uh, every day in the temple together. See, all the Bible scholars in the room are confused right now because back in that day, they're like, well, Pastor Ben, you couldn't enter the temple. Only the priest could enter the temple on the day of atonement. You are correct. However, I think we got a picture of it. Maybe, do we have a picture of it? Nope, I forgot to attach it to the message. That's fine. I had this really cool like, painting of the temple I was gonna show you. I missed it. It's my fault. There was the temple, the actual building, and only the high priest on the day of atonement could enter into that building. But surrounding it was a big court, big fenced in area. Anybody could enter there and it could hold thousands and thousands of people. So when it says they were entering the temple, another translation that does a little bit of a better job, I believe in ESV, it says the temple courts. So these people weren't entering into the Holy of Holies. This wasn't, wasn't that. They were entering the temple courts surrounding the temple. Guys, what we're seeing here, it's the first version of church services is what it is. They were meeting together to hear the word of God, to worship, and they were doing it day by day. We do it once a week. Could you imagine? See you guys tomorrow morning, same time, same place. It's the first version of church services. God's people gathered together in one place collectively to worship and hear the preaching of God's word. And I love this because I think we live in a day right now where people the outside world, maybe even some people inside of the church love to try to dismantle the church as an institution as if this is some modern man-made thing that Christians try to use to control people. But the truth is, is it's how God has established his church since the very beginning. Since the very, I guess the second chapter of Acts, God's people have been meeting together in a central location on a regular basis. But that's just one side, right? They met in the temple courts. Do you notice the other one? Where else were they going? Homes. They were meeting in the temple courts and they were meeting in homes. Since the very beginning, the biblical model for God's people has been gathering in large groups and gathering in small groups. And what happened as a result? More disciples, deeper disciples, it was addition by subtraction. They got deeper, they got wider by getting smaller. Never once in the history of the church did Christians think that just kind of showing up once a week was enough to really 
throw fuel onto the fire that is their relationship with God. They met corporately in the temple courts and together in smaller groups in homes. So if you remember about five minutes ago, uh, I, I introduced us to the whole idea of like, hey, we're, we're doing something new to vintage, but not something new to the church. So there's something we've been working on for a really long time, and I'm really, really excited to like make it official right now. So brace yourselves. So church, we spent the last three months overhauling our V group ministry, and I'm really, really excited to officially announce the beginning of the week of Easter, we're launching home groups. Yes, there's, yeah. I love Josh Richmond, you're, you're, me and you this morning, baby, this is it. So we've identified six locations for these groups, in addition to our Hope Recovery group that is coming under the banner of these groups. Why? Because if you, you or someone that you know is struggling with addiction, we have a group for you. Vega's right there. Talk to her about it. We love Hope Recovery. We've recruited leaders. We've trained them with brand new training material our church has developed, and it was awesome. Leaders, at least I thought it was awesome. I hope it was blessed you as much as it blessed me. It took long enough, long enough for us to get through it. And what's even more exciting is that we've already, we already have what we're calling apprentices, people that are underneath the leaders to be trained and to grow in their leadership capabilities. Why? So that as we believe the Lord continues to multiply us, we're all ready to put more groups out there based on the groups we already have. That's exciting. That's multiplication. That is going to be a game changer for our church. And what I believe is through this new initiative, we're going to see a significant increase in the discipleship of our church. We're going to add to our body not only in, not only in number, but in maturity and depth by getting smaller. So we're going to continue to be here every Sunday morning. That's not going away, right? 10 a.m., see you there. But we're going to continue that discipleship throughout the week in homes. We're going to grow by getting smaller. And here, here's my plug. This Tuesday, 6.30 p.m., right in this room, be here. It's our last equip night. It's called Discipleship 101. I'm going to be walking through a bunch of stuff, but inside of that is going to be the nuts and bolts of this ministry, how you can get involved, more on why it's important, what it's going to do to your heart, the community around you. So please uh, make a point to be there. We're going to be laying a foundation as well, kind of the core components of, which is the people of these groups. So my goal is by Tuesday night, these groups are open. So you can come, I'll tell you how to get involved with it. And you could be the first people to say, yeah, I'm in. That'll make me a happy man. But what I want to do with the next 20 minutes or so, now that we have that foundation laid, I want to take our time to really understand like, why? What are we doing in these things? I spent the last week or so really studying God's word and looking and saying, man, God's word tells us there's a lot of stuff for us to do to grow our relationship with Christ. God's word's full of it. But what are the things that we can accomplish and do really well inside of these groups that's going to allow us to go deeper, to get stronger, to see life transformation? What are the things of all the things that we see in God's word? What does he point to the most? What does he point to? Um, what does God tell us to do inside of a group context? And so I've narrowed it down to a few things and I just wanna spend our time together letting God's word be the guide for the importance of why we should continue to meet in smaller groups and how it impacts our lives. You with me? We good for that? All right, I told you, man, we're on a, we're on a ride today. Here's the first thing. First thing is prayer. What are we doing in these groups? First and foremost, we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray. In V groups, we're gonna have a big emphasis on prayer. 
<coughs> excuse me. In Romans 12, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He's reminding them that the marks, what the marks of the true Christian are. And one of the things that he points out that makes us, the disciples of Jesus Christ, different than the rest of the world is that we are to be constant in prayer. You can write this down, Romans 12, 12. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is just one short example, but prayer is an emphasis that we constantly see throughout Scripture. The word prayer, you know how many times just the word prayer is used in Scripture? 357. We see the word prayer 357 times. But if you open that up to not just using the word, but what are times that we, we see prayer talked about conversing, communicating with God in Scripture without actually using the word? Well, if you do that, it's an additional 700. So we're talking there's over a thousand times that God makes an emphasis on prayer in his word. Do you think that that's enough time to say, huh, he's probably trying to tell us to do something. I'm there. God wants us to pray. When God's people get together to pray in the name of Jesus, he promises his presence. There's a closeness that he promises. Maybe some of you are familiar with this passage. Matthew 18, 20 says this. For when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We pray in the name of Jesus, right? That's biblical, that's scriptural. So when he says when two or three are gathered in my name, that's what he's talking about. But if you're a good Bible scholar, like I know all of you are, you're looking to say, Ben, that, that passage isn't necessarily just about praying though. That's about conflict resolution. To where I say, you are correct. I don't wanna use God's word out of context. But I think the principle still stands. See, I understand the context of this verse. It's about conflict resolution among believers. But the principle is this, that when God's people get together in groups, right? When two or three are gathered in my name <coughs> and they go to him in the name of Jesus, God promises his presence. So it's this, this fun term called manifest presence. So let me, let me explain it this way. It's the presence of God that we really get to experience. It is an awareness that he's here with us and he's listening and he's working. When we're sitting in the presence of God, we get a heightened sense of his peace, his love. Our faith is increased. Sometimes we experience the conviction of sin. Let me, let me, uh, let me explain it this way. Does anybody have like, like a go-to person in their life? Maybe it's your spouse or it's a close friend or it's a, you know, a mom, a dad, a neighbor, whatever. You, you know, like, like, was it Grey's Anatomy when they talk about oh, my person? It's kind of like that, not really. But I mean, it's the person where if you're excited, something good happens. Like it's the first person that you're calling. You're picking up the phone, you're calling them. Yes, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta share in my joy with this person. Or if something goes wrong and you're upset, they're the first person that you're calling and venting to. Right? I'm terrible, don't do that to me because I'm just gonna try to jump in and fix it for you. I'm not a good, let me just listen and let you be upset and I'll be upset with you. I'm a fixer. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Parent, grandparent, best friend, just the person. It's like, <clears throat> what are you doing on a Friday night? What do you mean, what am I doing on a Friday night? The same thing we do every Friday night. We're hanging out. You haven't like made the plan. You just know that that's happening. I hope everyone in their life at least gets to experience that once. Now, let me ask. Can we all agree that it is a different experience when you get together with that person versus when maybe you're just texting them or calling them on the phone. Who would say that it's a different experience when you're in person together than when you're just communicating over the phone? 100% of the time, right? 
But when you're on the phone, are you still communicating? Are you still connecting? But when you're together in the room, it's a totally different experience. You could be having the same conversation as you were having on the phone, but when you're in the presence of each other, there's a sense of closeness that was there that isn't there if you're not together in the room. That's the presence that we're talking about. That's that sense of closeness that we're talking about. And here's the truth is God could give that to you whenever he wants. He could. He could do it right now. You could have that sense of closeness with the Lord privately all the time. And man, praise God for that. I hope that's every person in this room. But he promises that presence when God's people come together. Why is the experience at church, everyone together worshiping different when you're just worshiping by yourself in your car? Because God works when his people get together in a special way. That's the presence we're talking about. Man, God can allow us to experience that closest whenever he wants, but he promises that level of presence when God's people come together to pray. What else do I have here? Praying together also creates opportunities to minister to one another. When we lift up a brother or a sister, we begin to bear each other's burdens. We're gonna talk about that later. We're stretched in our boldness. We create a camaraderie. And when God answered those prayers, man, it encourages everybody. It encourages everybody involved. It strengthens our faith. Praying together aligns our hearts with God's heart and it unifies us. And God wants corporate prayer to be a rhythm in the life of every disciple. And this new structure that we're leaning into allows us the opportunity to keep that front and center in our church, in our lives. It's the first thing we're doing. The second one is this. Discussion. Discussion. Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I love that phrase there, to dwell in you richly. That means that God wants his word to take up residence inside you. He wants it to dwell in you. He wants it to live in you. But I love that he added to dwell in you richly. I mean, God doesn't want his your life, your heart to be a tomb for his word where it's just kind of there and laying there. No, it wants to dwell in you alive because his word is alive and it is active. And to dwell in you richly, not something that sits dormant, but it's something that is active, that is transforming, that is moving. I hope you don't just go to your house every day and just sit there on the same couch and then, oh, time to get up for work, and then you leave. No, you're living in it. You're moving around. You're experiencing it. Man, the, thing, the same thing. God wants that for his word in you. He wants it to be alive, transformative, guiding you to holiness, and we can do that better when we're sharing that experience together. And if you do a quick Google search, you'll, you'll find hundreds of articles on the value of studying scripture, discussing scripture in a group. So I spent some time this week doing it for you, sifted through all the good articles and the bad ones and somewhere in between. And I kind of narrowed it down to just, I said, what, what are like the big broad strokes, the common threads that you see in all of these articles? And I narrowed it down to three things. I'm gonna share them with you. So there's three benefits that I've found to studying scripture in a group. The first one is this. Studying together leads you to a deeper understanding of God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Maybe a lot of you know this. All scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let me ask you a question. Anyone ever been reading the Bible and thought something to the effect of, hmm, 
I wish someone could help me understand what that meant. Or, hmm, I didn't quite understand what Pastor Ben or Pastor Rob was talking about on Sunday. I wish there was a way for me to follow up and get a little bit more understanding. Anyone ever thought of that? Man, I'm the preacher sometimes, and I get off stage and say, what in the world did I just say? I wish someone would help me understand what I just said. That does not instill confidence in the congregation. My bad. <laughs> I kid. Guess what? This new structure of V groups is going to allow space for just that. We get to have space to ask questions, to develop a deeper understanding of God's word so that it can truly dwell in you richly. Every word written in the Bible, like we just saw, it's valuable for our lives. Studying scripture in small groups opens us up to the collective wisdom of not just one person, but the group. So we're not left to our own devices, but we can benefit from a well of understanding and perspective that we don't always get when we're studying on our own. And studying together also helps us practically apply scripture in ways that we haven't thought of ourselves. Anyone ever been talking about something in a group and someone like scripturally talking about the Bible, maybe in the old V groups or with a friend and they like say a way that it has been affecting them, a way that it's been kind of working on their hearts and it kind of clicks with you. You're like, oh man, I didn't even think about that. We're gonna get that here. Man, but on the flip side, right, it allows us to avoid pitfalls, like trying to make scripture say something that we wanted to say, but something that it doesn't actually say. I love that about groups. How about this? Studying together creates unity amongst believers. Psalm 133.1, I love it, it's so simple. It says, behold, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. Just one example that we see the idea of us, brothers and sisters in Christ, dwelling in unity all throughout the Bible because God wants his people to be unified. But the reality is we're unique. We are different. And sometimes it's hard to find common ground. I'll be the first one to admit, I'm a total weirdo. We have a friend here with us this week. I didn't tell her I was going to do this. Sophie's over there. I'm going to say, hi, Sophie. Sophie lives in Chicago, but she's going to move to Pittsburgh in the name of Jesus. (laughs) I'm like half joking. I'm working on it. Sophie's been a friend of Lauren and I for a really long time. She started as a a small group leader in my ministry, and then she became my admin, and she was a wonderful admin, Um, and then she became my barista after she quit that job because I rule with an iron fist. I'm just kidding. Um, And then then after all of that, you're just our friend, and we're really thankful for Sophie. And um, But here's the thing. Sophie has seen me in all the different, like, weird phases and things that I've gotten into. where I'm currently at right now is, is this, uh, I collect Star Wars action figures. Listen, man, I'm married, I've got two kids, it's fine. Like, it's, it's cool. I locked that in before I started collecting figures. Um, I still play in a band with like, the guys I went to high school with. Not exactly the most endearing trait, but that's a thing. Um, how about this, golf is my new personality. I decided that last year. Golf is my new personality. Josh Kowal back there is like, yeah. The thing is, is we play all the time and he hasn't beaten me once. Got a new driver last week. It's too long for me. I've spent a lot of money on it. I'm excited about it. Haven't hit it straight once. It's okay. But some of you hear all that and you say, Ben, you are my type of guy. Let's hang out. And you and me, brother, well, I'm in. Let me know when and where. But some of you are saying, Ben, that's so stupid. Why do you waste your money? Why do you waste your time on those things? And guess what? That's fine. Why? Because we're unique. We're different, but we do have one thing in common. It's Jesus Christ. And hear me when I say this. 
it doesn't matter how different we are. That one piece is enough. That one piece is enough for us to be in community and to dwell in unity. I was in student ministry for a number of years. I'd always have the parent who thought that their kid was better than everybody else. It's just truth. I think my kid's better than everyone else too. It happens when you're a parent because you love them. But I constantly got the same thing. My kid doesn't really click with who's in their small group. Oh, we should change them. Well, they're more mature, so let's put them in the grade above. Sophie's like shaking because she remembers all those conversations. But here's the truth. What I always told parents is the same thing I'm gonna tell you right now. Those things don't matter. You having things that you like to do on a Friday night in common with the person beside you in your V group doesn't actually matter. It's not, it's not necessary. What matters is that we can find common ground in Jesus Christ, and that's enough for us to dwell in unity. I hope that you get someone in your V group that just rubs you the wrong way. I hope, because that's good, because it puts us in a place where you say, hey, it doesn't matter. All that other stuff, secondary. What matters is our foundation, that is Jesus Christ. If we can get to that point, we're gonna have something in the water. We're gonna be clicking. I'm excited for it. And here's the other thing. Studying together creates accountability. Studying together creates accountability. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Man, an essential part to every believer's growth in Christ are the spiritual disciplines, right? We can agree on that. It's our personal time in prayer, our personal time in the word. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. Consistent corporate worship is a discipline. But who would admit that sometimes they have a hard time keeping those rhythms flowing? I do, all the time. I struggle with it. Shoot, I'm three quarters of the way through my day. My day is over. I'm laying in bed. I've got to read my Bible today. Huh, I really wish I had someone that would have texted me and reminded me to do that. Guess what? You can now. Coming together on a regular basis with a group of believers helps keep those rhythms flowing. When you know you're gonna be discussing what was talked about in the message on Sunday, it gives you more of an incentive to be here on Sunday morning. When you create a list of ways your brothers and sisters in Christ are asking you to pray for them, you're more likely to remember to take that time and to pray. When you're getting in the word with other believers, you begin to fall in love with this word more and more, which fuels your desire to be in it on your own. Hear me when I say this, accountability in the Christian walk is so important, so, so much so that we've actually made it the third pillar of our new V-group structure. Prayer, discussion, accountability. We want to create a space where the men in our church can come together with the men in our church. The women in our church can come together with the women in our church to be real with one another, to share struggles with one another, to make sure that we're not carrying the weight of life on our own. How about this, Galatians chapter six, one and two. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfills the law of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, if you've never had the opportunity to be in a community where intentional times of accountability exist, man, I'm excited for you to be a part of one. When we choose to open ourselves and let others see the real us, the struggles, the nasty parts, the parts that we don't like to talk about, man, God works in that rawness and he begins to mold you and he begins to shape you and we start to see transformation. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And hear me when I say this, accountability isn't a luxury. It's a necessity. This isn't something that's like, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. I would like to have it, but if I don't, no big deal. No, it's not like that. 
Man, it's a necessity. Each of us are flawed human beings that need help, myself included. Right, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, as we're going through that process, right, begins to convict us of our sin, areas where we need to grow. God's word allows the church to be an instrument in helping us grow in those different areas. Accountability is a necessity for every Christian as they strive to become more like Christ. Anyone ever been to the gym? Or like seen a video of someone at the gym? I'm more in that boat. You see the guy at the bench press? Some random guy or sometimes his buddy who's behind him spotting him? Why? Why is he there? Because he's doing something that he can't do on his own. Eventually, he's gonna slip up. Eventually, he's gonna get weak. Eventually, it's gonna get harder and harder and he needs a friend, a brother, a gym bro to go up there and help carry that weight so that he could be successful. Listen, we all struggle. There are things in our lives that we need help with. We need a spotter, myself included. And this structure of V Group allows that. And I understand some of you are looking at me like this, nope, I'm out. That's like the one thing I'm not gonna do. Here's the thing. We're not gonna go deep diving in the first night and say, hey, tell me all your dirty secrets. No, not at all. As trust is built, as community is grown, that comes naturally. But this sets us up for success in that. If you are struggling, if you are hurting, if there are things that are going on in your lives that you need restoration from, man, this is the place to start working through that stuff. And two things that happen, and I'm already over time, so I'm gonna go really, really fast. Two things that we see in this verse that, that the accountability opens the door to. The first is, like I just said, restoration. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Restoration is the process of returning something to its, to its former owner, place, or condition. So imagine you got a, like a project car, rusty old clunker, an old truck, and you're restoring it. What are, your do, what are you doing? You're going piece by piece in that vehicle and cleaning it or replacing the part until it's back to its former glory, its original condition. That's restoration. As we have things in our lives that we're struggling with, Accountability helps us go piece by piece and start replacing what is not of the Lord and filling it with what is. And the other one is just bearing one another's burdens. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Life's full of burdens. It's hard. Life is hard. It gets chaotic. It's not always sunshine and rainbows. We know that. Man, but when we're walking through a season like that, Satan wants nothing more for you to, than for you to stay quiet about it. Why? Because it isolates you. It makes you deal with it. You get in your head. It torments your soul. But when you come in a small group of believers and you're open about that, it, it allows the opportunity for the people, the brothers and sisters around you to bear those burdens, to help walk you through it. Sometimes those burdens are self-inflicted. Sometimes we pray the prayer, God, why are you allowing me to do this? And he's like, me, you did it. This is, this is, oh yes, the consequences of my own actions. Guess what? Intentional times of accountability lets the people beside you to smack you upside the head and say, you're dealing with this because you put yourself in this. So let's start restoring it. Let's work towards restoration to get us out of that. Why? Because we want to become more like Christ. Here's the last thing. Ben, you can come on up. Community. The fourth and final pillar of this thing that we're entering into in the church, and we see it all throughout God's word, is community. We started in Acts. We're ending in Acts. 
but I'm not going to play the music. Sorry. Some of you love that. Some of you are like, that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It's the point. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking bread and the prayers. And the awe came upon every soul and the wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, here it is, full circle, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, what we see in those few verses is just a snapshot of what community looked like as the early church was being built. They were learning together. They were eating meals together. They were praying together. They were helping each other. The text said they had all things in common. They were generous with one another. And as they were building this community together, look what happened in verse 47. Having favor with all people. What does all people mean? It means all people. It means everyone. Jeez, the that shows is it wasn't just the people in the groups that were being impacted by this community. It wasn't just the five, three, however many people are gathering in the home. No, these homes that they were gathering in was helping them find favor with all people. It wasn't just staying on the inside of the four walls. No, these groups that were meeting in homes began to impact the communities around them. Jerusalem was full of them. So much so that they started getting trouble. And please get to the point where the police station down there, they call me or they come up and say, Ben, we're arresting you because there's way too many Christians meeting at homes in Moon Township. I don't think that's a law. Maybe you'll have to make one. Wouldn't that be something? Y'all been in church. Yeah, they had to make a new law because of that. (laughs) Don't put me in that situation. No, the point is this, is that when we start to meet in homes, in our communities, Small groups of believers coming together for to pray, to discuss, to hold each other accountable. The life transformation begins and it doesn't stay in the house. It starts to leak out. Man, we want to live the gospel, serve the city and be the church. How are we going to do that? Through these groups. Listen, I don't have the time to put all these like big church-wide outreach events together. But you know who can? You and the five, six, seven, eight, ten other people in your small group. You can take what God's been doing in your heart. You can go impact other people. That's what they're here for. I love, they found favor with all people. The transformation that was happening in the lives of the individuals in the home started to leak. And it started to change the people around them. It started to impact the people around them. People started asking questions. And when people start asking questions, gospel opportunities open up. That's what we're going for. And of course, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And not only are these groups created, as we continue to grow as a church, that every person, uh, no, for, sorry, not only are these groups here for us to grow, these groups are here so that every single person who walks into our church that meets us on the street, one of the most wonderful individual in our church, Greg Pans is his name. He's in Florida right now. He found our church because I found him on the sidewalk. We started talking and he got plugged in. These things happen. But these groups allow that every person in our church to find community. Right? As we grow, we don't all know each other even now. I want to make sure that people don't walk in here and they're just like, oh shoot, like there's a bunch of people here. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anybody. These groups allow that door to open. 
opens a door for us to be a very real practical resource for our communities. And when we do it, the Lord opens up our opportunities for the gospel, for conversations, and kingdom advancement. Church, I hope you see that what we're doing isn't new to us, or isn't new to the church, but it's new to us. But I hope that you see through God's word the value of what happens, how God chooses to work when his people come together. That's what we're going for. So Tuesday night, I'm gonna be here talking more about that. We're gonna have the groups opened up for you to be able to come and say, uh, we got them all over the place. We got one that's actually meeting here that I'm gonna move to a home as soon as I can. Um, We got some in Moon. We got some out towards the city and kind of all around. We've strategically placed them so everyone can find one somewhere. And I hope that these groups are so full that we say, hey, uh, apprentices, you've already been through the training. Let's multiply. Time to go find another home. Let's move that way. Um, So I hope you join us Tuesday night. I hope you're as excited about it as I am. Sorry for going. Who eight minutes over. Let me pray for us. We're going to close. Father God, we are thankful. God, we're thankful that we have such a beautiful picture and instruction guide for what your church should look like. Lord, I love that I got to sit down this week and I didn't have to make anything up. It wasn't hard. We just looked in your word and said, this is what they did and this is how it resulted. And God, thank you for that template that we can, we can use. God, thank you for all the leaders. God, all the people that have answered the call here in our church that have said, you know what? I see value in this. Let me open up my home. Let me help lead others. God, thank you for them, Lord. As the people, everyone here, everyone who couldn't join us this morning, God, as you begin to plant the seed, should I join one of these groups? Lord, I pray that you would just give them a sense that your spirit is giving them a resounding yes. God, not because it's a program or a thing that we want to see launch successfully. No, God, because we fully, truly believe that this is going to lead to life transformation and deeper discipleship within our church. God, would you bless us in that? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the body of this vintage church. We love you. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.